This is Agile Storytime with David Ritter. The three mindsets of an Agile team. What's a mindset? It's an established set of attitudes, a way of thinking that informs and shapes our choices and actions. In our experience, the mindsets of an Agile team predict the impact that team will create. We see three essential mindsets of effective Agile teams. At the foundation is the continuous improvement mindset. A team that doesn't improve over time isn't a healthy team. Worse are teams that don't think they need to improve or are unwilling to do the work necessary to improve. To what end does a team improve? In what ways should they strive to get better? A team should focus on improving in ways that enable them to more effectively deliver outcomes. The outcome mindset says that a team's value is defined by the impact it creates, not by the volume of stuff it creates. If nobody uses the stuff a team creates or the stuff doesn't deliver on its intended purpose, the team is simply producing output. A team should own the delivery of the outcomes intended for its output. What defines a meaningful outcome? Output becomes outcome through adoption and effective application. This often occurs outside the formal boundaries of the team. Some other person or group needs to apply the team's output to create value. The product mindset defines the consumers of a team's output as customers. The success of the team is measured by the adoption of their work by customers and the satisfaction of those customers in applying the work. This applies even if the team is operating a process and the customers are other associates of the same company. Teams with a product mindset strive to make their outputs accessible, easy to adopt, self-service, and highly reliable. They provide support to customers to foster adoption and successful application of their work. Thus, all teams are product teams where product is broadly defined. So what's the goal of an Agile team in three words? Improving product outcomes. If you're a fan of acronyms, call it a new definition for IPO. But you might say, my team just builds a widget that's part of a huge complex machine, or my team just builds the platform that runs our website, or my team just runs the help desk. How does this apply? Directly. Your team produces a product that's consumed by others, a widget, a platform, or help. In the product mindset, who's using your product? How satisfied are your customers with your product? How easy is it to use or adopt your product? Can customers consume it successfully without additional help? What are you doing to make your product self-service? How are you getting feedback from your customers about your product? And how are you responding to this feedback? In the outcome mindset, how well does your product fulfill its purpose? To what extent is your product contributing to an end outcome? The reliability of the machine, the usability of the website, the productivity of associates who need help. What support are you providing that ensures your product is used successfully and fulfills its intended purpose? In the continuous improvement mindset, how are you improving your product and how are you increasing the rate at which your team can improve the product? How are you addressing the health and happiness of your team and the sustainability of your team's work? If you don't have good answers to these questions, re-examine your team's mindset. 
Today, we'll explore the product and customer mindsets as they've been applied within a very large, complex, and rapidly moving enterprise, Amazon. Harsha Ramalingam was a senior executive at Amazon responsible for key parts of their technology infrastructure. Welcome, Harsha. Would you please describe your role at Amazon? Sure. My role at Amazon, fundamentally, I was on the consumer leadership team and reporting to the CEO of the consumer business of Amazon. So I was responsible for Amazon's e-commerce platform, foundation technologies, which are effectively proprietary technologies relating to compute, storage, and security. And the CIO and CISO functions for Amazon in, in that the CIO reported to me, as did the CISO. So broadly, those were my areas of responsibility. Thanks. And how did this role relate to Amazon Web Services? Were you a customer of AWS? Did you contribute to AWS? Correct. Actually, a bit of both. So um, in the early days of AWS, some of the things that we were working on were moved into AWS. So for example, if you're familiar with AWS services, one of them is called RDS. RDS was developed within my organization. Now, I didn't lead that at the time, but it was part of my organization. And and that was transferred over to uh, AWS. You know, the other things, for example, we had built within the foundational technologies piece that I described, we had built an internal service, which was a very high speed, low latency storage service, and it had attached compute to it. And that uh, we built in around 2009 or so, and it was largely the inspiration for what came out as a DynamoDB in AWS. So those are examples of the ways in which, you know, technologies that we had built showed up. Also, originally, the infrastructure for Amazon used to be part of our organization. We moved that organization, which became the infrastructure for AWS. And so, yes, uh, we were also customers of AWS. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Amazon's become famous for being organized around the two pizza team, a team small enough to be fed by two pizzas at a meal, teams that work fairly autonomously. How did that start? What was it solving for? Uh, the two pizza team concept was introduced in 2002. And as Amazon uh, was getting to about 10,000 employees right around 1999 or 2000, the two pizza team was introduced to address the emerging pain points of becoming a big company, if you can imagine that, <laughs> 10,000 people for Amazon, somewhat ironic today. And people noticed that execution was getting slower and Amazon no longer responded like a nimble startup. In a nutshell, you know, at Amazon, there's this notion of day one. So Amazon was no longer a day one company. And so that was kind of scary and noticed by a lot of people. And that's what motivated this desire to kind of introduce the two pizza team. So what was it solving for? Fundamentally, the two pizza team was solving for a highly scalable model that would sustain Amazon's day one culture for the long run, no matter how big the company got. And when I refer to this day one culture, it's a customer obsessed culture that deeply understands the customer's experience and pain, moves fast, and invents on their behalf. While many organizations seem to suffer from too little communication, you explained that Amazon actually instituted the Two Pizza team, at least in part, to reduce or streamline communication within Amazon. People started to notice that we weren't executing, you know, like the startup that we were. People were thinking about how can we change, how can we improve this, right? And so a couple of the executives at the time pitched a presentation to the leadership team and had some good ideas about how to improve communication across the silos. Because you got big, you got silo, and you know, communications break down. And so the thought was, 
what are the kinds of things we can invent to make communications work better for Amazon? And it was interesting, a lot of the folks in the room, you know, reacted positively to many good ideas that came out. Um, but it was interesting in that Jeff's reaction was counterintuitive. And he came back and he said, well, you know what? I'm not sure that this is the best way to go forward. Communication actually is part of the problem, if not the problem over here. And what we got to figure out is a way to communicate less, not more. Now, on the surface, too, it was confusing. What, what exactly is he trying to say here, right? So what he was getting at was a few different points. As you get bigger and you get this hierarchy, and think, too, you know, in a founder company, perhaps this is a little more uh, exaggerated. You know, the founder often at the start of the company is responsible for a lot of the decisions and driving the direction of the company and so on, right? Number one, with all these layers, even if I wanted to do something, what I want to do and what I express doesn't actually come out the same at the other end of it, right? Because you got all these layers. The second thing is, I don't even know if that's a good thing that people do what I say because I say it. In fact, actually, the people that are closest to the customer are in the best position to make the best decisions on behalf of the customer. And me or some other senior leader sitting up there somewhere disconnected or far away may not be in the best position to make all those decisions. And so we need to think of a way in which we actually have a lot more autonomy so people don't need this communication up and down a hierarchical chain and actually are able to execute independently to a greater extent. It took a couple of years of this notion was rattling around in his head and you come back and you talk about it to people. Every year after the holiday season is done, um, he used to go off on a little bit of a retreat uh, for a couple of weeks and, you know, he spent time reading a bunch of stuff and so on and get energized and come back with some new ideas. After the 2001 holiday season, he came back and the two pizza team was the outcome of that. And so the communication piece of it was if teams are independent, number one, you know, overhead communication where teams shouldn't need to communicate, you know, is a loss or a friction. If you have teams that provide self-service capabilities Others don't need to ask them to do something and they don't need to communicate about what needs to be done. Self-service takes care of that. Automation takes care of that. So you can eliminate a whole bunch of that kind of communication by doing that. In addition, up and down the hierarchy and the vertical side of things, you can avoid communication by having more autonomy, independence, and empowerment for the teams that are in the best position to make the decision. So with all these independent two pizza teams running about, customer focus, doing the right thing for the customer, sounds like a recipe for chaos. How does Amazon avoid chaos? So let me first talk about the product mindset in the way that Amazon product teams might think about, you know, the mindset that they share, the set of beliefs and attitudes and so on that, you know, are common to how they think about this product team concept. Fundamentally, it's about being empowered and having a sense of autonomy and en encapsulates a set of principles around ownership, customer obsession, inventiveness, and a willingness to experiment. And ownership in Amazon means thinking long-term and not trading off long-term value for short-term wins. So that's a super important principle that they come with, along with this notion that they're empowered to be able to make these decisions. The customer obsession part is about deeply understanding the customer's experience and their pain and inventing on their behalf. In a sense, outcome orientation is a natural outcome, so to speak, of thinking this way. When teams move too agile, they have a hard time grokking what this thing called outcome is. But if you're customer obsessed and you kind of know the pain that the customer has, and if you actually even, to get more specific, have metrics around that pain, 
then outcomes are very directly related to changing those metrics on behalf of the customer. So it's a pretty straightforward thing. But when you start with that culture, it's a lot easier to kind of, you know, to grok and execute in that way. The other thing is this failure, you know, after thoughtful risk-taking is embraced at Amazon. And so this promotes this experimental culture as well. So all of these, in a sense, encapsulate this notion of the product mindset in how product team mindset, I should say, and how in terms of how they think. I think you asked about how do teams, you know, that are so independent execute and not be chaotic. Two parts of the answer to that question. The first part is actually it is a little bit chaotic, right? And so I have to start by saying that there is some level of chaos because teams are moving off in all these directions, doing independent things and stuff like that. But the the aligning principle, if I had to pick one that kind of pulls teams together and gets them aligned, really it's the customer obsession part of it. That single principle aligns teams very quickly. And You know, one of the best ways to kind of think about that is the example. When multiple teams get together to discuss a particular program, you know, they come in with divergent views, right? Because each one of them has a perspective based on on their product and they're optimizing for their team and their product and their customers, you know, in in how they're thinking about it. And so when they get together, these meetings will often start off with a little bit of chaotic back and forth as teams are arguing about stuff. This has happened so often that it's almost a cliche. At some point, somebody will say, okay, so what's the right customer experience here? Literally, that is, you know, out of all the cases, question props comes out and everybody kind of turns their head and sits, sits back and thinks a little bit as to what the direction might be. And emerging out of that is a consensus around what the best experience from a customer's viewpoint is. So it shifts their viewpoint, puts them in the seat of the customer, starts to think about that experience, and often a consensus is much easier in getting to kind of how that should be. Thanks, Harsha. I particularly appreciate your use of the term grok when talking about achieving a customer mindset. This term originated in the classic science fiction novel Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein, and it means to understand something profoundly and with empathy. Empathy for the customer, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, is at the core of the customer mindset. We'll share more insights on the mindsets of an Agile team in future episodes of Agile Storytime. Stay tuned. This is a podcast from Boston Consulting Group. For more information on enterprise agility, go to on.bcg.com agile.